Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to Screenplay Rewind. I just had a few programming notes to drop at the front of the episode. Uh, for one, this is Alien from 1979, directed by Ridley Scott. And it ended up being about 15 seconds shy of three hours. So we have split this into two episodes. This is not something that's going to be normal behavior, but we did feel it was necessary this time. So we are releasing the first half of this episode this week, and next week, the off week, we will be releasing the second episode. So I will break back in at the end of the episode and announce uh, Jeff's movie pick for next time so that you still have the full two weeks to seek out and watch it. The second thing that we realized we neglected to say is that we watched the 1979 theatrical version, and we neglected to mention that we will pretty much always choose theatrical versions for this show because that is the version of the film that most people would have seen. The other thing I wanted to uh, mention is we totally forgot to talk about our spoiler policy at the front of the episode, so I wanted to do it here. We pretty much intend to always spoil everything from the get-go because the premise of our show is that we give you two weeks to seek out the movie, watch it, and join us later. So we are recording every episode with the idea in mind that you have seen the movie. So we start talking spoilers from the get-go and realize partway through the episode that, oh, we didn't say this. But yeah, I will see you again at the end of the episode for Jess Movie Pick and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to another installment of Screenplay Rewind. I'm Jeff. I'm Ron. And uh, we decided to spend this week where everyone has just been staring at their TV screens all uh, you know, like all the live long day by doing it some more. Watch the movie. Yes. And that film I will let Ron introduce since it is his pick for this episode. 1979's Alien, directed by Ridley Scott. Yes, bitch. And it stars uh, Tom Skerritt, which was the name that was supposed to asses in seat. And then listen to the supporting cast. Tom Skerritt plays Dallas, the captain. Sigourney Weaver is Ripley, the warrant officer. Veronica Cartwright, right? Veronica Cartwright is Lambert, the navigator. Harry Dean Stanton is Brett, the engineer. John Hurt, the war doctor himself, is Kane. Of Spaceballs fame. And of Spaceballs fame. <laughs> and yeah, not again. <laughs> not again. Ian Hello, my baby. Hello, my <laughs> honey. Hello, my ragtime gal. Uh, Ian Holm is Ash. Rest in peace, good sir. You and John Hurt and Harry Dean Stanton. I know, dude. Like, this <laughs> the supporting cast is all people I fucking loved that have all unfortunately passed away. And then Yafit Koto. Yafit Koto is Parker. Written by Dan O'Bannon. Yep. We're uh, going to talk see. a lot about Dan O'Bannon in the trivia section because I loved yep. a lot of what I read. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff with Dan O'Bannon. Uh, so the screenplay was by Dan O'Bannon, uh, based on a story by Dan O'Bannon and Ron Shusett. Yes. And, yeah. So I kind of introduced uh, the basic plot line for the thing. So I figure what we do is whoever has 
selected the film for the episode in question, uh, watch like kind of introduce the kind of basic plot, and then we kind of just kind of move into our discussion from there. So how about you kind of introduce us to the basic plot line of Alien? So the basic plot line is the crew of seven here that we, we just named are basically space truckers. Yep. And this is basically a space big rig. The Nostromo is a interplanetary tug. And it Which, is, by the way, is a great fucking name for a ship. Right. It just what? makes it, it's just like, it's basically like a fucking semi truck, but it sounds so badass. I just love that name. <laughs> now, is, is the Nostromo, is that name significant or pulled from anything? Is it sounds a lot like Nostradamus. Uh, I can. I, that's the one thing around. I forgot to look up before we started. While you're 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 introducing the rest of the basic plot, let's see. But yes, the um, the crew of the Nostromo are returning with, I believe, it said twenty million tons of ore or something like that. Um, returning to Earth from a mining colony, and uh, they are waking up in hypersleep from hypersleep or stasis. And uh, discover that they're nowhere near Earth, what they were yep. supposed oh. to be. And just a quick aside, the Nostromo name, I'm assuming, is a callback to Nostromo, I Tell the Seaboard. It was a novel in 1904 by Joseph Conrad, uh, set That's... in the fictitious South American Republic of Costaguana. Uh, so it looks to have been... So in 1998, the Modern Library ranked Nostromo 47th on its list of the 100 best English language novels of the 20th century. Uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, F. Scott Fitzgerald actually once said, I'd rather have written Nostromo than any other novel. Ooh. Ooh. So basic plot summary, uh, it looks like, as Nostromo is said, in the South African country of Costaguana, uh, it's a fictional nation, but its geography is described as, in the book, resembles real-life Colombia. Okay. Uh, has a long history of tyranny, revolution, and warfare, and has recently experienced a period of stability under the di uh, dictator Riviera. So it seems to be kind of almost like a uh, interesting, cool. yeah, like old kind of classic War and Peace type novel. If I had to interesting. Estimate. So that sounds like just a just a little something for Schuster and uh, O'Bannon. Probably a novel they discovered in college that they were both both into. Uh, you know, they, they they both they were both Schuster. into. So I think I said Schuster. 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 Yeah. Um. But yeah, they discovered they are nowhere. Near Earth, because there is a signal being detected that could be an SOS, and it is law that they have to scope it out. Yep. So Mother, our computer system um, that watches over the ship, has awoken the crew, and uh, they kind of start uh, investigating. And just real quickly, Mother, the second installment of the exposition computer... That <laughs> yes. we uh, talked about in our episode, uh, covering John Carpenter's the thing. Yeah, I had a I had a note later in the show when it happened. Later, yeah, later in the episode when it happens that, like, I think this is probably one of the best uses of the exposition computer, uh, yes. from like yeah, this time absolutely. period. Absolutely. When I think of exposition computers, the two I think of is are, mother. It's mother and and the and the stuff in the thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, I wanted to point out something here right at the beginning because, you know, the movie kind of opens uh, with them going to the galley to get something to eat. And I wanted to point out a couple of things. Kane was the first person to wake up from hypersleep, by the mm -hmm. way. And then in the galley, Kane is... John Hurt, right? John Hurt, yes. Okay. 
Kane in the galley is one of the first person that you can actually hear speak. It sounds just like a cafeteria, just that audible background noise. But mm-hmm. the one, the first one it really focuses in on is Kane saying, I feel dead. And Parker saying, you look dead. Yeah, lots. There's there, there's so much fucking foreshadowing. Oh, in this movie my God. It, it, it is like <laughs> beat you over the head worthy once you know all the later plot details. Uh-huh. But they're just subtle enough where if you're just first watching the movie for the like the initial time, I think a lot of it would go over your head and you would forget it. But yes. on subsequent viewings, you really pick up on a lot of the... There is the like a Miyazaki level of detail to this movie and the thing both. Yeah. Um, it's it's insanity. I tried to spend a lot of time on this viewing. The, the way I typically watch movies and I watch them multiple times is I watch them kind of as intended. I let the camera guide my focus and stuff, like where the screen is telling me to look is where I look. And then usually about the second or third viewing of everything, if I'm watching something that much, I start looking in all the other places. So I was looking a lot in the background this time and just for little notes like that. And I don't think I ever noticed before that Kane was the first person to wake up. And I've never really put any thought to the I feel deadline for some mm-hmm. reason until this viewing. I was like, holy shit. Um, but yeah, this is where Tom Skerritt, uh, Dallas, our captain, goes to um, talk to Mother. Because it's pointed out to him that Mother wants to speak to him. And then in the galley, we come back talk about the mysterious signal. And then um, I have my note here on the landing sequence once they get to the planet and, you know, and they, uh, they disconnect from their, their big rig trailer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that They then proceed to land on planet Nope. Yep, yep. Because <laughs> I can't think of a better way to describe this thing with the the primordial atmosphere and oh i i I know like one of the things i fucking love about ridley scott more than any other director is his attention to to detail with who he selects as the set decorators yes all of his movies are just so fucking immersive like you think back to like blade runner like literally created like a visual language for sci-fi yes and, it and really you know, did. alien did alien did too to an extent with having it just look so fucking like this. Like if I if I could describe alien in one in one word, and a lot of people are not gonna like this, it's moist. <laughs> like the whole <laughs> fucking movie is just like fog over here, shit just dripping. Why does the ship have like a shower in the middle of the <laughs> bay? I don't know. <laughs> What's the point of the swinging chain dripping water room? Um, <laughs> actually. Uh, in my research, I found out that that is where the ship's landing gear is, is in that room. So condensation, okay. I guess. I don't question know. Mark? Yeah, I question mark? Yeah, question mark. Condensation um, is not what you want in a spaceship, but that's... But I love that you described this movie as moist, because the words that I read in my research on how they made the creature, one of the quotes was, copious amounts of KY jelly. <laughs> <laughs> So, the fact the word moist is very applicable to this movie. Yeah, yeah just a, <laughs> while we're on the subject, just a little piece of trivia I'd actually come across uh, while doing some research on the movie. Uh, Sigourney Weaver, between the cat allergies she had and uh, oh, no. an apparent allergy she had to some of the the material they were using to make the pieces of the environment look slick. Oh, no. Uh, she was actually allergic to uh they had to like stop her scenes from involving that so if you think about it almost all the scenes 
where they have like the bits of you know like fog or the, you know like the scene where they have like they're walking around the engineering bay and they have people directly interact with like water and just she's not in the them. environment she's not in them yeah that's interesting that's very interesting um so the other thing i wanted to point out at this point i had my notes to kind of stop and talk about is at this point in the movie you've gotten a pretty good shot of the uh it's a multi-deck ship the nostromo it's a three-deck uh ship and you've gotten a pretty good look at it at this point and the star wars influences are very apparent oh yeah um, especially when they show the the exterior of yes. the of the Nostromo. um but i found it um i just found it interesting looking at the ship design because the thing that i don't think a lot of people realize star wars brought to hollywood was before star wars spaceships were super sleek and just chrome on chrome on chrome oh, yeah. and like not a lot of moving parts or whatever and then you got to star wars and everything you don't know what it is but everything on it looks functional right and then yeah, it, you, looks like, it looks like it could actually fly it looks like an yeah. actual piece of machinery not just you know a prop yeah and when you get to the rebel alliance the rebel ships you know they're they're rebels right they don't have funds they don't they don't have a lot of manufacturing capabilities their ships are junk x-wings look yeah. like they could fly apart in the middle of space um and no one had ever seen that before and that movie is two years before this one came out so when you get to like alien again we have the very rugged very functional it, the nostromo isn't necessarily a pretty ship, but it's one that you could see being built and could actually be like flying around, right? Um, I really love the design on the Nostromo because it really looks like something you would imagine to be a spacefaring semi truck. Yeah, um, it, it's, it's very it's good just, it's design. Just, it's very bare bones. You know, there's not these like elaborate you know hallways that lead like you know there's like no uh, flashing like the lights. There's no spinning discs. Yeah. There's no spinning rims. <laughs> There's, yeah you know like with the like with the starship enterprise it, like the, it looks like a fucking mall in space you know yes. it doesn't look like a functional ship and and the nostromo yeah. and alien is the opposite of that the uh, nostromo like in certain places like in the galley or like in the room where they were all in stasis very star wars everything is very white the the hallways a lot of them are even the same shape that one that one shape you see on the empire ships a lot and then you get, like I said, to the galley. It looks like a lived-in kitchen, right? Like, it looks like a lived-in kitchen on, like, a boat, on, like, a ship. And then when you get down to, like, the engineering decks and stuff, it looks dirty. It looks grungy. It has a very mechanical feel to it. That's where the uh, our engineers are at, um, uh, Brett and Parker, where they basically yep. spend most of their time. It, it's just all, like, kind of dirty, and it's, like, pipes and wiring everywhere. Then you go up a level... And now we're kind of like on Empire, Imperial ship and stuff. When you get like to the cockpit, it looks, uh, I said cockpit, but I guess it'd be a bridge, but it looks like a cockpit to like a, a fighter, like a, like an air force fighter plane. So mm -hmm. the, I, the design of the Nostromo has always been one of my favorite design ships. Yeah. I like it a lot. So yeah, I, I had a lot to say about that. Basically, if you just talk about any of my handful of like favorite set designs I've seen from a movie, I think of Ridley Scott movies because his movies always just have this grit to them. Yes. And like he, like when you're watching The Martian, like never for a second do I think I'm looking at a set. 
I think yeah. I'm looking at fucking Mars because he just he's so good at who he picks for his his cinematography teams and his set decorators. And it's like every single person on set has the same enthusiasm for the project that he and his writers do. And I think that really shows through and why he is, in my opinion, the best writer or sorry, the best director of the last century is I don't think of Spielberg. I, th I think of Ridley Scott. I think he is somehow one of the most like recognizable names for directors in Hollywood, but yet still underrated to a degree. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. Don't, I don't hear a lot of people talking about him in the same regard they have for Spielberg, but like I personally hold Ridley Scott as the, the best director that I've ever seen. Between Spielberg and Scott, for me, it's kind of a toss-up because Ridley Scott his projects really come alive and kind of have a life of their own and none of them feel the same. They're all unique, right? Mm -hmm. um, even if they're in the same genre or have the same kind of look or feel, they're still very much unique, very much have their own personality. Uh, Steven Spielberg, that man's powers of adapting things. Like if you give oh, him yeah. a book to adapt or the ability that he has to take something and make it, family friendly where everyone can enjoy it or whatever. Like he is legendary in that right as well, as well as, you know, um, or, or just, just in pure versatility. Yeah. And the versa you can give him any anything. project. You can give either one of these directors, any project. Um, yeah. and the, the two of them are my favorite directors. I think I prefer Scott's projects more. They're a little bit more grown up. When I was a kid, I was all about Spielberg stuff, but as I'm an adult, I, I think I appreciate Ridley Scott a lot more than I did as a kid. Um, but I, I think I think Spielberg was a lot more consistent overall when you look back at his track record. But when Ridley Scott would hit, I like Ridley Scott's hits yeah. more than I do the majority of Spielberg also enjoys the limelight a lot more. He's a lot more in your face. He's in a lot more interviews. He's he's more of a household name. I think Ridley Scott really outside of award shows like you just see his name on screen on something he's directed. And I think that also contributes a lot to him being kind of underrated in a lot of ways. I think people yeah. think of his, think of his projects more than they think of him. He also typically in like why his, his hits appeal to me personally are because a lot of his movies are a little off the wall. Like Spielberg yes. is, you know, the summer movie popcorn director. A lot of them are very safe. A lot of them are very safe. Yeah. Doesn't mean they're bad. You know, I think really yeah. Scott goes out on a limb a lot more. Um, but either way, like, I, I don't think you could go wrong with either one. I think they've both earned what they have for sure. It, it's like well, one of my favorite uh, things that I stumbled upon when doing research for the movie is that uh, Ridley Scott's uh, kind of description he has for Alien personally is he describes it as the Texas Chainsaw Massacre of science fiction. Yes. And it's like, that's why it appeals to me. I love that. I love that this movie is... <laughs> is a horror movie first and then sci-fi second. Like he, yes. he really, in like, it's interesting too, because like you had mentioned earlier about how uh, the movie followed kind of in the footsteps of sci-fi being brought back to uh, Hollywood following star Wars. Mm -hmm. You would think the studio would want this to be more science fantasy than they science did. fiction. That was my understanding was they did. Um, originally though, they didn't even want to touch it. And then yeah, and Star, Star Wars, Wars basically yeah. the quote that I had was they were told who wants sci-fi and then Star Wars hit. And it, I don't think you can underestimate how much Star Wars shocked people. Um, no one in the business thought that movie was worth anything. 
Like, it's a it's, kid's it's a movie. It's Star Wars garbage. got made. I, yes. I, I don't even know how Star Wars got made. When you think about how much money went into the special effects and the budget behind it and how unproven George Lucas was as a commodity. Yes. It's crazy. And like, when it... Spielberg would be able to make Star Wars <laughs> a thing, you wouldn't expect them to just give George Lucas essentially a blank check for the 70s to do whatever the fuck he wanted and, and it'd be the most famous movie franchise of all time. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. And that blew up at box office, stunned everyone. And again, my understanding and my research and preparing for this, this episode was that uh, Fox kind of looked around and was like, well, what sci-fi do we have? And literally the only thing on their desk was Alien. And that's kind of how Alien got made. It was actually shelved for a little bit until Star Wars happened. And then when it was given to, when it was given to Ridley Scott... He uh, he wanted to lean hard into the the horror side because to him it was less sci-fi and more of, it was more of a sci-fi setting and more more of a horror movie. He wanted to focus on the creature a lot harder than I think the script originally did. Yeah. By the way, there's like eight drafts of this script, <laughs> so um, I'm just so happy that they they let him keep the kind of like hard edge tone that Alien has. Because you would you would think that the studio would want it to be like Star Wars. It's kind of like light and fluffy for the most part, you know, just kind of science fantasy. And I'm so happy that they just kind of let Ridley Scott and the writers make the movie they wanted to make. I would love to see the storyboards for this because uh, from what I from what I read, the storyboards is kind of what sold them on everything Scott wanted to do. Because I think Ridley Scott only only had like one hit or maybe even one movie he directed before this. Uh, yeah, so some of the producers had been impressed by Ridley Scott's debut feature film, The Duelist, in 1977, and mm-hmm. they made him an offer to direct Alien, which he quickly accepted. Yes, and like the original budget was something like $4.2 million for this movie, which, by the way, think about today trying to make a movie for $4.2 million. Yeah, that's um, like a Bumhouse movie. That's, and, that's like that's like an itty-bitty indie movie. Yeah, and storyboards typically are kind of like a brief overview of the kind of the direction you're wanting to go. But Ridley Scott is kind of known for having these intricate, very detailed storyboards that kind of lays out everything. And when the studios saw that, they doubled his budget. So he went from 4.2 million to 8.4 million uh, to make this movie. And I think because he tends to be very, I have, I get the feeling that you don't really sorry, necessarily Aaron, Aaron, want thought, to work uh, for sorry, him. Sorry, uh, some, someone's actually like knocking at my door up here. Right oh, okay. Sorry. So they landed on planet Nope. Yep. Which is actually a moon Nope. Moon Nope. Planetoid yep. Nope. Haha. Loophole. <laughs> LV426, which I, I love that Alien Day is April 26th for yes. LV426. That's so awesome. Just. Um, so they, they land there and, uh, this seems odd to me, but Dallas and Kane and Lambert, probably the three most important people on the ship all went together to (laughs) investigate the signal. Kane is second in command. Oh yeah. They went full Star Trek. You know how like on Star Trek, every (laughs) fucking landing party has Captain Kirk. 
chief science officer Spock, the lead medical examiner Bones, and then 12 red shirts to die. That is essentially what they did without the red shirts, and no yeah. wonder they all fucking died. <laughs> right? So Dallas is our captain, Kane is our second in command, and Lambert is our navigator. So, you know. Kind of need a navigator when you're in fucking space, or maybe that's just me, I don't know. So them being Kane and Dallas being out leaves Ripley in charge. Um, yep. just she's the warrant officer and they go to locate this mysterious signal, which Ripley eventually decodes as a signal telling you to stay away. Um, yes. Yeah. She, she, she classifies it instead of an SOS as a warning. And, uh, Mr. Ash immediately re rejects that, that proposition and says, well, they're already there. So if, if they're going to die, they're going to die. They'll figure it out. They'll be fine. Right. Yeah, we... which is like fucking blatant <laughs> foreshadowing that the first time I watched the movie, I probably didn't notice at all. Right. Uh, there's a lot about Ash that comes up on subsequent viewings. Um, Where you're just like, what the fuck was I thinking? Like, how did I not know this? He was a bad guy. Yeah, how did I not know this? <laughs> oh, by, by the way, uh, just as uh, a quick notice, like when we do our reviews on movies, we go into full spoilers. So please have watched oh. the movies before you watch our shows or listen to our shows, I should say. Yes, um, I might even I might even record something when we're done and put it at the top of the episode since we forgot. Yeah, yeah, it's like Jeff kind of you know like the programming nerd spoiled the whole movie. You know, just there you go. <laughs> yeah. So all right, our first programming note in episode two. Yeah, um, we got some pizza. We got some fucking <laughs> programming notes. Let's go, dude. Old fuck programming notes. Old fuck programming. If we ever make a video <laughs> game design company, it's old, gonna be old fuck programming. Old fuck pizza notes. <laughs> Uh, Let's go. Oh my god. Uh, you said something before, by the way. I, this is just the episode of Asides. Um, you said something yeah, yeah. in during in the middle of the thing or in the green room for the thing episode that I was just like, man, if we ever did like blow up and had like production company putting out stuff on YouTube or whatever we were doing, mm -hmm. you you said you combined our Twitch names and had us as Blossence. And I was like, I kind of like that. Pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty good. We need to pretty keep good that for us. The, we need to keep that in the back pocket. Uh, I mean, it's kind of an overtake of my old fight programming, but that's it's pretty good. It's 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 a close contest. It's a pretty good one. That's a pretty good one. Um, so uh, find out it's actually a warning to stay away, and they uh. Ash rejects that. Plus, I think they're too far away to hear any road to transmission with the ship is breaking up at this point, right? Yeah. And they discover... They're, 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 they're deep in Moistville, bro. <laughs> they're deep in the, the KY Jelly wet, Wetlands. KY Wetlands. Yeah. And um, they go and they find a... I was going to call it an alien or an extraterrestrial spacecraft, but I mean, they're on an extraterrestrial world, so who's the extraterrestrials here? Um, but which I, I noticed upon this viewing, just really quickly in our series of never-ending asides, <laughs> the the fucking space jockey ship, uh huh, that design was basically like ripped off wholeheartedly from Lucas in the original Trade Federation ship in Episode One. I don't remember if uh you have like seen the the prequels. Have you seen the prequels? Yeah, yeah, not but anytime yeah. recently, but the the space station looking one, right? Yes, so the if you Google the fucking Federation... I, I believe in ship. the business, Jeff, it is called an homage. 
I'm pretty sure it's called a fucking ripoff when it's George <laughs> Lucas, but... <laughs> so all they did was, like, basically rip off the fucking space jockey ship and just put a ball in the middle of it, and that's the, that's the Trade Federation <laughs> ship, dude. I'm, I'm telling you, dude. Like, I'm like, what the fuck, George Lucas? <laughs> But yeah, back, back, back to our regularly uh, scheduled old folk program. <laughs> I don't think I can continue at this point. This is going to be fucking pizza. We're calling it. <laughs> Go get me some old fuck pizza and sit my old fuck down. Um, I love how I love how this podcast was so like professional and concise. And then pizza just completely <laughs> derailed it in the best way possible. We're a half hour in. We haven't gone inside the space. <laughs> we haven't even seen any alien whatsoever yet. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, continue. We're still in the first 10, 15 minutes of the movie. <laughs> um. <laughs> we thought this podcast would be an hour or less. <laughs> Oh my god. We don't even get to the fucking end of the first act by the end of the first hour, dude. It's so bad. Okay, continue. <laughs> oh my god. So they uh they go inside the uh aforementioned space jockey ship and Jeff, they find a space jockey. Um I love the art design on the space jockey and his little platform thing he's like plugged yes. into. It's so good. Like he also looks to be fucking huge. He looks about 12 feet tall, which immediately you're just like, what the fuck am I looking at? Because it's it's humanoid, but it's not humanoid proportioned at all. Yeah, he's just fucking massive. And he's basically like fossilized and has become like, like merged into the thing he was sitting in as he's fossilized over yeah. time. It's so good. It's so good, the design so on this much- thing. The, and it's just like, like you mentioned earlier, like Miyazaki from from the Souls uh, video game series. But like when you just think about the image of the space jockey, there's so much environmental storytelling there. Oh my it's god, it's so good. Just with it, like their set designs are so good, you can get so much information just off looking at it. It's so good. Uh, there's no telling how much time you could spend going frame by frame through this movie for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and. One of the characters, I want to say it was Dallas, points out this ominous hole in the chest of the space jockey, but mm-hmm. all the bones are broken outward, like something came out of this guy. And the, the, the this whole thing is incredible. It looks like it looks like something from StarCraft from the Zerg. The mm-hmm. way the inside of this uh, ship is made and and everything, it's like which it's the, like they're inside the of. A, are, yeah, that's uh, like, which says the Zergs are clearly influenced by Alien too, which is funny. Yes, um, yeah, the Xenomorph is basically a Zerglin. It's a Zerglin, Lester. Um, so, uh, Kane finds a hole in the floor, and as you do, decides to descend into it, and. One of the uh, quotes from him as soon as he uh, goes down, because I don't remember what they said the temperature was outside on this planet, uh, but it is like absurdly cold outside on this planet. And as soon as he descends in the hole, the first thing Kane says is, it's like the goddamn tropics in here. Yep. And he finds what he describes as leathery eggs underneath a layer of mist. And... As he's looking at this thing, he touches it, and it kind of lights up, which is always a positive sign. 
And yeah, they're they're not as dumb as the scientists in in Prometheus that immediately get murdered. Yeah, which I think but we they're, decided they're pretty was dumb. Me. Like they 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 are not concerned about this at all as they should be. Yeah, he's even reporting about he can see a life form inside of it, like that appears to be biological. And then, uh, not alarmingly at all, the top of the egg opens, and. The way th this is kind of done, I could kind of see being curious enough to stick your face over it, unlike Prometheus and uh, what was that, Covenant? Um, where someone's just like, hey, look at this. You know, like, I, I find this to be a little bit more believable, but I'm still not sticking my face anywhere near this thing. He, at the at least, he does, like, none of them remove their Helmets. suits. That's the part of Prometheus that is just like, what are you doing, guys? Like, yeah, Christ. But like, they're 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 a little bit too forward. But it just because they stay inside their suits, at least it grants it some, you know, like accountability, right? From like a from like a script perspective, and it's just one person, you know, it's not two guys. Hey, <laughs> this is fine. <laughs> like, like the guy. I mean, I like Prometheus. I'm, you know, you and I are like the only two people besides Ridley Scott that like Prometheus, essentially. But I believe like, it's the first movie we ever went to go see together. Actually, I think you're right, and I think you didn't know it was a prequel to Alien. So I had not watched any of the trailers. I'm so glad I didn't fucking ruin that for you and talk about it because yeah, as, I knew as, about it. As for, we're gonna have to cover Prometheus someday because as that movie went on, I was just like, and this is starting to feel. An awful lot like an alien well, movie. <laughs> this is directed by Ridley Scott, right? I is that? Is it? This looks an I awful wish, lot like a space jockey. <laughs> I so wish I could have experienced the movie not knowing, because that must have been fucking awesome and mind blowing to have it be revealed as an alien prequel instead of like, you yeah, know, go like I knew about it going in. Um, but yeah, my head we exploded. We should cover Prometheus. We should do just eventually just cover all the even some of the like the the you know lesser loved alien movies like three and four i think would still be interesting to talk about because like i i don't understand people's i've never seen a bad predator movie and i've never seen a bad alien movie i don't know what people are talking about i have some are better than others but people act like alien three and alien resurrection and prometheus and covenant and the alien versus predator stuff and all of them are just like the worst movies ever made and I yeah. can name some far worse movies. Yeah, and like like like, like the, the worst they get for me personally is is three, but three is not a bad movie. It's just not what I wanted that period in time in the story to be. They also kind but of yeah. piss you off right at the beginning. Right. Yeah, but but three. yeah. Uh, uh, to uh, to get us back on track, just to Alien, I love the cutaway uh, when they show John Hurt. You know, like yes, getting uh, his face the, sound, the sound effect. The, the speed the, of the strike and that screech it makes as it launches out of the egg. So, and then it just cuts to a, a wide shot of the space jockey ship. Fucking great! The editing in this movie is great. It's phenomenal. It's uh, so good. They they linger just long enough and then cut away at like the perfect time in so many instances. And I I love the editing. Uh, I have the uh, editor here just so we can give credit uh edited by terry rawlings and peter weatherly fucking a plus work here yeah it's so good um i believe right after that we cut back to the nostromo don't we 
They are cutting back and forth between Ripley kind of communicating with their their kind of like landing team uh, and with um, the Nostromo. But I think right after that, the next thing we see is them back of the Nostromo, like with him on like uh, like a, oh, uh, a main oh, yeah. journey, uh, right? Uh, yeah, where they're they're trying to to bring him into the like on the a ship stretcher, and... like a like a, a made like a field made stretcher. Yeah, uh, the Dallas, the the kind of captain of the crew, you know, is, is giving Ripley orders. But when uh, when John Hurt as the second in command and Dallas are off ship, Ripley is in charge. Ripley is telling them after they talk about how uh, you know they they how they found him. Ripley correctly is trying to quarantine them. Yep, Ripley she's says saying, that know, she's Ray- not gonna open the door. She's not gonna let them in because of quarantine protocol. And then the credits just rolled, and everybody. You know, everybody on the ship lived just fine, and nothing yep, bad yep. happened. Yep. Yep. And then that was the end of LV four two six. Yeah, but, that was um, it. <laughs> but, but in another instance of like, holy fuck, this foreshadowing is so over the head. Why didn't I like? I I don't remember what shocked me or surprised me in my original viewing because I watched this movie, you know, like probably right. twenty years ago for the first time. But I can imagine a younger Jeff being surprised later by the reveal, you know, of fucking um ash being a bad guy but like he's just like nope nope well instantly pushes the well, button lets him in it's you're you're justified in not seeing him as a, a bad guy then just an idiot right because he's the chief science officer he's got an extraterrestrial sample attached to a crew member's face a he's got the skill to possibly save the guy b of course he would want to study the thing but the thing is, it's also arguable because if anyone should be wanting to enforce quarantine procedures, it should be the chief scientist. Which officer. is a plot point later. Ripley yes. has the conversation with him about that. Yeah. yeah. Because but Ripley, it, from the get-go, they haven't revealed this yet, but Ripley from the get-go has not been on board with Ash in any way because yeah. he, their science officer was replaced by Ash two days before they lifted off. Yep. So she has always had an odd feeling about Ash to begin with. And she yeah. confronts him face to face later in the movie about all this. And then because the way that they're all friends, <laughs> and the way they interact uh, and the way that uh, Tom Skerritt's character Dallas mentioned about how their previous science officer that had been replaced by Ash, you know, had been with them on like, I think it was like five different trips or whatever. Yeah. It was like five they, or they, seven. They, they seem to be a consistent crew. Like they all know each other except for Ash. Yeah. So, yeah. They're so much foreshadowing. They're like, Holy shit. Like I should have put it together if I didn't. I'm assuming I did not. <laughs> but uh so yeah, Ash, you know, breaks protocol with the quarantine procedures, lets him in. And uh they let him into kind of like their little like sick bay uh infirmary, right? Yeah, their little infirmary er- uh, area where he starts to do the tests on him and everything. Uh a note that I specifically made because and I, I wanted to bring it up because you brought up them removing their helmets in Prometheus. If you look at Kane's helmet, it didn't blast its way through his face shield, dude. That face shield is melted. Yeah. Like, the plastic or whatever that is made out of is clearly melted. And it's just like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, yeah. Think and that's, about that. That, that. That, shit's made, that shit is made to work in space. Yes. And it's just so casually concaved by whatever got into his suit. You're just like, what the fuck am I like? I love the amount of just like, what the fuck am I looking at in this movie? It's it's really, really great. Um, another note that I had was, you know, they get him they get him laid out 
They take his helmet off, and the first thing that happens when they take his helmet off, the tail of the facehugger tightens around Kane's throat. Oh, dude. Like, the, the effect like they it have already on the knows face. that it's under threat. The amount of, like, uh, attention and detail they have to the special effects of the facehugger, like... Because when you think about it, like, the the special effects team and the set decorator, like, do a lot of the heavy lifting... Because if you just think about like a like a face hugger in theory, it could have come across really corny. Yes. If they didn't just like crush it with the design and crush it with the effect, like the sound effect as it's tightening its tentacle around. Uh, oh, I know. His neck. The more they get near it or try to touch it or anything. Yeah. Fuck, dude. It's like it's like it's like bone chilling. And they're sitting here doing the analysis on the thing, and I love Parker's quote. How how, how come they don't freeze him? And then it cuts back to the infirmary with them working. And just in the background, real faintly, you hear Parker go, hey, how come you guys don't freeze him? <laughs> <laughs> the big, big brain Parker has it all figured yeah. out. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking about it like, okay, we're, we're talking full spoilers here, right? We've already mentioned that. Yes, exactly. Wayland yutani is not a good company. Wayland no. Yutani has specifically sent them there to bring back a sample. They don't want a face hugger attached to a dude like being brought out of stasis and everything on Earth. They want this thing isolated to this ship as they study it and figure it out. They want it to come out of Kane. Wayland Yutani, basically the time mourner of the 22nd century. <laughs> so yeah, it um there's a very good reason. Like, because the thing the obvious thing is that like what they're doing here is your obvious thing is, yeah. Put him on ice, right? Put him back in stasis. And they are specifically saying, hey, how come you got, why don't you just freeze him? Why don't you just put him back in stasis? And the reason that's going to become clear later is, you know, you find out Whalen Yutani wants this thing. They knew about it. They want it. And if you actually stop and think about it, they don't want you to bring it back to Earth so they know what they're dealing with. And they want the thing, but they don't necessarily want it on Earth yet because they know what they're dealing with. They know what they're up against. And they... They want to study it. And this is a good, good way to study it is to unleash it on this ship. Also, Ugh. just from like a writing, from, from a <laughs> writing perspective, like, uh, you know, you know, uh, like, I, th I feel like, uh, as you know, the 12th, uh, quick aside on this podcast, 12, <laughs> it's only been 12, uh, 12, you know, 12,000. <laughs> uh, I come from more of like a writing background. So I pay attention to like, like act structure and kind of, script related stuff more than you and you pay attention to your know, other stuff more than i do and you know uh you just this is different stuff that different people pay attention to during a movie the idea of making um ash a plant from the get-go is such a genius plot device because like typically in a movie like this you know you're, you're looking at, at the way that they react you know breaking the quarantine how loosey-goosey he is with the face hugger yes. like the face hugger should not be anywhere near another person they should be operating on it like you know how they have a little like bay that they put him in at one point to like scan him yeah that's the type of like environment that the facehugger should be in where it's detached from the people that are examining it he has it just out in the middle of the fuck like several scenes they open the fucking door where it could easily could have gotten out oh and we're gonna talk things, about the fucking door later yeah, all of these things could be seen as plot holes where you're like, what the fuck are they doing? But it's all there for a reason. He's a plant. He doesn't give a flying fuck. The more people they get they get fucking infected, 
that's just more test subjects for them. That's what exactly and what they want. There's a very specific reason that we'll get to why Ash is the one chosen uh, yes. to be the plant. Like the the I I I don't know if Ash being an android and Ash being a plant was in the script from the beginning, but whenever like I that, that it is was. like a, it's a gold mine of an idea because from a writer's perspective, like one of the biggest things you worry about, especially for horror, because one thing that derails a lot of horror movies is people eventually have to do dumb shit for the plot to progress for the monster or the serial killer or whatever the antagonist is to take effect and be active as far as killing people. But when you have this genius plot device that perfectly encapsulates like how the Xenomorph gets out, you know, like why they're there, why they're being so, you know, loose with their protocols, it's perfect writing. Like I absolutely love the all bases the, are covered. It's so it's so well thought out and just meticulously crafted. It's great. Yeah, it's it's a lot more airtight than it seems, again, on first viewing, right? Because you're not thinking yeah, about a lot of this on first viewing. You cannot fully appreciate how good this movie is until you've seen it two or three times. I mean, this viewing, I learned a new stuff I mentioned at the top of the episode, right? I mean, I, how many times have I seen this movie now? So, yeah, it's dense. It's layers upon layers upon layers. Um, yeah, it's nuts, dude. Yeah, so they... um. They go, uh, they, uh, I guess first they scan it and they see that like it's feeding him oxygen. It's got a tube down his throat. They don't know what it's doing. They don't know why it's there. And they decide to go ahead and first they try to pull the, it has these finger like grips. If you've never seen the movie, it looks like a, it's like a big long hand with really long spindly fingers and, and like five extra joints. And it, yeah, uh, it's so creepy. And it's wrapped around his face and wrapped up totally around Kane's head. And first they just try to pull it off and the thing doesn't, doesn't move. doesn't budge. Nothing happens. So then they decide, well, they're going to start cutting the fingers of the thing off. And holy shit, Jeff, can you imagine? Can you for an instant imagine the horror of acid blood squirting out and eating through layer after layer at the layer of the floor on the ship. On your fucking spaceship. On your fucking spaceship. And it goes down like three floors, too. It is a three-level ship, and it stops on the final level. The ceiling of the third level is where it stops. And, yeah, it. Uh, I, love, I love when he asks for Harry Dean Stanton, who plays Brett. They ask Brett for his pen. And he like looks at his pen and looks at him like my pen. Like he doesn't say anything, but just the look he gives him. And then he hands him the pen and like it melts the end of the pen or whatever, but it, it, it's finally stopped. It's run out of energy. As I say, it's run out of juice. It is juice. Um, it's run out of energy. It's no longer eating through the hole on the end of the level. It's no longer potent enough to eat through the metal, but it does dissolve part of the pen and they're looking at it, and Dallas says that it reminds him of molecular acid. I don't know why Dallas has a background with molecular acid, but, I mean, I guess... Dallas, former Bond villain confirmed. <laughs> right? But then, uh, he, as he's handing his pen back to Parker, Par uh, Parker, to Brett, Parker in the background says, Man, you know, it's got a wonderful defense mechanism. You don't dare kill it. 
<laughs> like, oh, it's, oh it's my such God. a great like is is the xenomorph the coolest creature concept ever? Because it's it's up there if it's not the coolest. I fuck like it's I pretty think apt I to perf- call it the perfect organism, right? It, it, like like it's, I I I think I like the predator better personally, but like if you were gonna argue like the coolest creature concept ever. As the xenomorph, I cannot fault you for the for making oh that because it's it's God. a fantastic concept all the way around. Uh, like you so can't good. you can't even fuck like because like your your instant go to is like well why don't they just fucking shoot it you know that's like the instant go to in your brain as a movie watcher. It's like why don't you just fucking shoot it? Well, molecular acid, bitch. <laughs> like and the the bit that that chews through three fl- floors of the ship too is just like a little spurt as they touch like a um, little. Imagine cutting joint. this thing open. Yeah, it, like it was like a, a joint on one of its tendril fingers. Yeah. If they actually, you know, cut into the, the the you know the more meaty part of it, like it could literally destroy their ship, and you know, it's crazy. Yeah, it absolutely insanity. Like, could you even imagine chasing this thing through your ship as it's eating through your hull of oh. your spaceship? Um. Yeah, and like I don't know about you, but like I'd be fucking panicky in space, even if there wasn't an alien <laughs> trying to murder me. Like right. I would be claustrophobic. I would be panicky the entire time. Like, like I am. I haven't ever actually flown. I would. I would imagine I would be panicky even on like a regular flight. <laughs> so like, if you put me on a fucking spaceship, I'd be just panicking the entire time. Um. Yeah. Takeoff and landing is the worst. Once, uh, once you're in the air, though, it's great. You, you just end up glued to the window. See, I'm I'm afraid of heights, so I'll probably just be in full Shatner mode, thinking there's a fucking Yeti on the wing and just it doesn't, screaming. It doesn't feel weird. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't seem like you're up high. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't look real when you look out the window. I'm I'm curious. I'm not afraid to fly. I have just never never had done the money it. to like put together like a trip. You know that would require flying. Right. But I imagine I will either be perfectly fine or going full shatter panic mode and then people will have to sedate me but yeah it's it's craziness um but this is where the conversation happens about ash not being an original crew member um ripley voices her concerns that she doesn't trust him she doesn't like what she's seen she doesn't like what's going on at all because in her eyes he's breaking all the protocols quarantine protocols and everything as the science officer as the science officer it'd be it'd, it'd be like Dr. Fauci being like, we don't need masks. It's fine. Oh, it happens it's a little fine. bit after this because he, um, he like leaves him in charge of like how to handle this thing. And she's like, wait, what? You're the captain. And he's like, yeah, yeah he, he, he's says the science officer. Medic, he, he says your chief science officer. It's your call. And she's like, what, what, what? Uh, yeah. So yeah, that doesn't go over well with Ripley um which by the way can we just point out too like we were talking uh, like i was talking about how ash is the perfect plot hole uh fixer from like just a writing perspective ripley's a great character because ripley is voicing all the concerns you're thinking as the viewer throughout yes. the movie so the movie is both retroactively fixing plot holes i don't know the correct- term she's basically though the audience stand in, but she has more information than the audience. Yeah. 
She's she's like the surrogate for the the viewer. Yeah, uh, she's she's not your she. I think they normally call those like a POV character, like the the uh, the companion and um and Doctor Who is basically yeah. the POV character for the audience. But Ripley is that, but at the same time, like she lives in this world. She's the warrant officer. Like she has information the audience does not have. Um, like no one has mentioned up until this point that Ash is not an original crew member, you know, like that is information that Ripley springs on the audience. Yes. Um, they are, they are intentionally very coy with background information on the characters, but it's not a thing that's being talked about because this is the thing the crew has already been through. You know, they're not hung yes. up on this. It's a conversation that's already happened and been done with in the past. So, yeah. you know, it's not a thing that has come up until there's an obvious reason for it to come up right here. So she's yeah. not really they, a POV are, character, yeah. but she is a stand-in for a POV character. Yeah, she's like a POV character with agency, kind of. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and like the thing is, is like we talked about earlier uh, about how you mentioned, you know, like they, they're on, they're halfway back. They've already gone to do the thing they set out to do. It's not like they just took off. You know, they right. were interrupted on the way back. Right. Um. So. <laughs> I want you to take over talking about this next scene because okay. I could hear you in my head, I think, as I was watching this scene. So we there's a little bit of a downtime, a little bit of breathe easy time. And then Dallas gets a call to come to the infirmary. And Dallas is like, is there any change? And Ash is like, just get here. And he's like, is it bad? And he's like, it's interesting. <laughs> and then he, I love, he calls. I love that line, dude. He says, it's so <laughs> it's so ominous with with twenty twenty like like you know vision you know you, you know your retrospective viewing like yeah. But fuck, dude. <laughs> and then he calls Ripley to meet him at the infirmary. And why don't you talk about the events of the infirmary? Because <laughs> I just heard you screaming in my head. The Dude, whole time. Like, that, <laughs> the like just from being a person that has lived in COVID, the amount that they don't give a fuck about the quarantine procedures with this dude who had an alien attached to his fucking face is just like mind-numbing, dude. It's just it's actually like cringeworthy to watch. Oh my god. It's it's uh, it like physically pays me. You're just like, no, why? <laughs> oh my it's, god! It's, so is, when he when he says the interesting line, is that when they go back and see that it's detached? Yes, it the okay. the creature is missing. Missing. Kane is still unconscious, but the creature is physically missing, and yeah. no one knows where it could have gone. They walk in and leave the fucking door open, bro. For like half the time they're in there. In like the. It, like what's interesting too is like the person that actually goes back and closes the door. Is I'm Ash. pretty sure it's, it's Ash. It's Ash. Like, I specifically yo, wrote it down. It's Ash. <laughs> like the one person who ha like doesn't even have a reason to do it once you know his his motives later. You know, right? It's like fuck. Like, but again, there is so much great plot like plot device usage to fill to retroactively fill in plot holes. These people don't really have a reason to know the full range of what they should do because they're fucking semi truckers. You know, they're yeah. not, it's not, you know, Spock, the chief science officer, of the fucking enterprise. 
these guys are fucking engineers and warrant officers on a fucking semi truck in space. Right. You you kind of buy it, and you can buy it because every profession that they have is meticulously handcrafted to make it buy up like you make you buy it and you do because it, it's it's a it's a great script but yeah they're they're poking around they're looking for this thing in every nook and cranny and not wearing masks not, which they've shown to who have been wearing earlier give, on give me even a ash fucking casey jones hockey mask dude I'm not dealing with this shit today. I'm not even supposed to be here. I'm not even <laughs> supposed to be here today. <laughs> so I wouldn't have gotten that fucking room, dude. And for a while, Ripley doesn't. She stands yeah. in the doorway. And then as soon as she walks in the doorway, Ash goes over and closes it. And they're going over um, and like sticking their faces in all these corners. And Ash, again, is the one that's like, no, no, no. Don't do that. Here, like, use use your light, right? And they have these long pen lights, and yep. that's what they're poking around in the corners with. But yeah, they find they finally find it. It does a typical horror movie jump scare. Creature falls from the ceiling onto Ripley, and she flings it off and like hurls herself backwards away from it, and the thing is dead. Um, it was just like up in the ceiling. Or I guess it went to die, and um, it just happened to fall on her. It wasn't an attack. And then this is where we get the effects on this. Dude, we talked about the effects on the thing. The effects on this as they're studying this creature and cutting away layers to look at it and stuff. Like, my God. This thing it's is so, good. so gross, it's, it's, and it's so good. It's probably just a collection of fucking, like cow organs and frog organs or something you know simple like that but the way it's constructed and put together for it not for a second do you not buy you're looking at a fucking alien dude it's and great jeff dead or not studying this thing how close would it your face be to it that they've established has fucking acid blood by the way yeah how close would you put your face to it um not Close. <laughs> uh, Ripley says pretty immediately, right? Oh, we just need to blast it out of the airlock. It's the only way to be sure. Something like that. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um. So. Yeah. Uh, Ash wants to to bring it back uh, to study it, and this is where uh, Dallas is like, "Okay, well." You're the science officer. And you do you, Ian Holm. Right. So um we go back to the no, no, we don't go back to the galley yet. I, I have a hole in my notes, apparently. Uh the next it's, it's fine. The, the, yeah, the, these these episodes of this podcast are intentionally structured to be just more of like a freeform discussion instead right. of like a sequence of events to cover in order just to uh, to have it be a little bit more uh, free flowing, so right. But I, I forgot. This is a very important hole in my notes. Uh, the next call that they get from the infirmary is uh, well. I guess no. They are back at the galley. I just jump. I just time jump in my notes because they are back in the galley, minding their own business. Right? Isn't this where the conversation with Brett always just says right to anything that Parker says? I think so. Isn't that, isn't that where this happens? I think so. And they were pretty close to it. And then he just, uh, of course, he just goes, right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then they get the call 
to come to the infirmary and like any change, like it's easier if you just come see. Again, ominous, <laughs> but yeah, the, the everyone gets it's a, it's a fucking massive experiment for him, right? And like, it's just him looking at fucking variables the entire goddamn movie, and it's it's so good. And everyone gets up to leave to go to go to the infirmary and look. Let's all go together, gaggle burp, astronauts, burp, burp. and. The last thing that is said in this moment is again Brett going right, right. <laughs> and then he gets up and goes. Which is which is moments like this are important because moments like that, little character quirks like that, are what you do to make the viewer actually ca- give a shit about the characters if yes. they don't have backstories. They have to have mannerisms and little jokey <laughs> scenes like that to make you grow attached and care. Otherwise, they're just you know, so props for the fucking alien to devour. Interesting thing about the characters' backstories. In the script, the characters are genderless. And Which is fascinating. They are very Fucking. generic. They have no backstories in the script. I can't think of a single other major light film. Uh, Ridley, had, Ridley um, Scott wrote backgrounds for the characters. Again, pretty much casted those characters, but he was looking for like the way people took those backgrounds and then kind of improvised with the character. And that was how he cast who he cast for each character. And it it's fucking telling that who that ended up being was Tom Skerritt, Sigourney Weaver, Veronica Cartwright, Harry Dean Stanton, John Hurt, Ian Holm, and Yafit Koto. <laughs> like the cast in this movie. Everyone in there, except for Tom Skerritt, is not known, and all of them blow up in some way or another. Yeah. And I, I think that that is a pretty fascinating case study. It's also just it's interesting, too, just because uh, during my research, I had actually found um, images from the actual script. And the way that they explained, it's interesting, uh, just about all the characters in the script actually had different names. Oh, really? Uh, so the cast of characters, like actually within the script, is uh, Dallas is Chaz Standard, <laughs> executive officer, which would eventually be, I believe, uh, John Hurt's character, yes. uh, Martin Roby. The navigator is Del Broussard. Communications, Sandy Melconis. Uh huh. That's Ripley. Uh, the mining engineer is Cleve Hunter. The engine tech is Jay Faust. So they pretty much all had reworked names. Uh, and at the very bottom of the cast list. Their note was the crew is unisex and all parts are interchangeable for men or women. Yes. And which is nuts. Cause like when you think about a movie like this, yeah, that is a, you know, Hollywood produced script. That's like unheard of. Cause most movies don't get made until they have people attached to sell it. It's an open when- door, dude, because there's, there's no gender. There's no race. There's no sexual orientation. There's no nothing. It's a blank slate. And this is something that would get made today, yeah. not in nineteen in the late seventies. Like it's yeah. crazy that the movie happened the way that it did. Yeah, it, it's absolutely almost absurd for nineteen seventy nine. Like it is yeah. crazy to think of, and that that means that a lot of these actors got to kind of develop the character on their own, and a lot of the chemistry between all the characters comes from the fact that there was no characters <laughs> like they are yeah. the characters themselves. So and yeah. it works too, because like when you've been, when you've been working with people, it's not 
natural for you to have a way to organically talk about your backstory because you've already been introduced to these people, you know, several years back. The way that they, they, they the, the way they talk to each other, it sounds like they've been working together for several years. Yeah. You like you and I don't have a conversation every day about, you know, like how we met, so on, you know, so on and so forth. So it actually works to like make it a more like believable encounter with the alien too, because you know they don't take breaks to explain character backgrounds because that wouldn't naturally happen in a situation like this. Right. Yeah, it, it's clear that there is a uh, a camaraderie there, and you don't need to know much more than that. There's no reason for them to sit down and talk about where the fuck Brett is from. Yeah. You know, or anything like that, because they all know, or they don't fucking care. They just want to get paid. I want my this, I want my share. <laughs> Because this movie is this movie is like meticulously edited, written, and directed to be lean as possible. It yes. is. It just fucking moves. Like it feels like it feels like more like a forty minute episode of a TV show than an hour and fifty minute movie to me when I watch it. And you know, we made like a like a like a Dark Souls kind of comparison before. Just like that, everything is important. Everything that you see here, everything that is said, has some level of importance to it. And the um, environmental even with the, uh, storytelling even specifically and with the characters, uh, you can draw a lot uh, in the way they're dressed. Um, like specifically, like I think of like with pa- Brett, you know, yeah, like wearing Brett like the Parker. Hawaiian shirts. Which, by the way, is uh, Herodine Stanton's character in Down Periscope a direct reference to Brett because it's the same actor in the same role and he's dressed exactly Pro- the same and acts exactly the same. <laughs> Probably. Also, I wonder if that's just what Harry Dean Stanton wears, and he walked up on set, and he was like, yeah, I'm not changing. Because, like, I could see Harry Dean Stanton doing that. Scared the hell out of some pigeons, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, But, yeah, he, uh, because in Down Periscope, he's the guy in the engine room. He's always drunk. He's wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Everyone else is in their Navy uniform. And when they need him to kick up the speed a notch, he pours some of his brandy or some of his whiskey just directly into the tank on the engine. <laughs> it's just like the same exact same character almost. Yeah. Um, which I thought was really funny. I kept thinking about that through this whole movie because I love down periscope. Um, but yeah, so they get down to the infirmary and Ash is, a, uh, not Ash, Ash has been awake. Uh, Kane is awake and he's got some memory loss. Uh, but more importantly, he had a fucking creature on his face, and everyone is just gathered around him <laughs> without no masks cor- on. And it's just like, bro, like watching this movie in a post-COVID world makes it even more just like, what are you doing? Because like we're just dealing with a fucking virus, and we have to take precautions that people follow, you like wearing masks or in social distancing. This motherfucker had a goddamn alien attached to his face two hours ago, and they're like. We don't need precaution. Let's bring him out to the fucking lunchroom. <laughs> now, do we know how much do we know about this universe and if humans are the only species in it? Because the, when they the find way that the way okay, in what? my opinion, and, and it's just based on like c- context from the characters, the way that Ash is reacting to how important the experiment is and the alien life form i don't think there is extra like ex- uh like uh extraterrestrial life that humans have come across really see now that's interesting because i was kind of going the other way so it, the, the opposite kind of was in front of you is the way i was feeling because when they find the space jockey they're just like oh look at that extraterrestrial he's fossilized and that's it like 
no real no, nothing profound no real reaction to it and but the thing is it's like if that was the case then then it, it doesn't seem necessary for Whale and Yutani to be as interested well, as they are in the Are they interested the in xenomorph? it because it's extraterrestrial or are they interested in it because it is the xenomorph? Which is the, what's what I love about this movie too is the kind of like Dark Souls style. I know we keep referencing Dark Souls, but it's you know, it's a part of our everyday language at this point because of how yeah, much we like much. those games. Either of us could be right and either of us could be wrong. Right. It is intentionally left ambiguous. And I like that about it. Like, because you can have it, like it's up to your interpretation. When they, they bring the dude into the ship with a goddamn alien attached to his face, everyone is just kind of like, dude's got an alien on his face. I don't know. They're, I think they're like, panicking. Like, Yafa Koto was like freaking the fuck out. I think free, they're panicking. They're, but is he freaking out because it's on his face? Or because it's an alien on his face, and there's two yeah. things happening here that shouldn't be happening. <laughs> like, it's, yeah, it's 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 ambiguous, but I like that about it. Um, yeah, see, and that's the you thing. You just I, I I'm I'm in the middle on it, but I am leaning more towards is the aliens are a thing. Is there aliens a thing? Like maybe no, we haven't met a live one, but we have found evidence of them or something. They don't seem that. They don't seem that shocked by the alien. They True. seem shocked by the events yeah, surrounding this creature. There, there's there's evidence leading both ways. Um, I, I also, uh, it's it, you can't really do it if you're just taking this movie itself in a vacuum. But right, they don't run into other aliens. I don't believe in any of the other alien movies. So as far as I can tell anything we've seen as far as, you know, obviously they ran into the predator, but that right. was more of just like a, like a franchise Hollywood move. At not this like point, a, who hasn't run into the predator? Yeah. Like Batman the predator fought, fought the predator. Batman. Judge Dredd like, fought yeah, the predator. Like, like if you just take the alien movies, they seem to only ever really reference the xenomorph as being an alien life form that they've at least discovered alive, like you said. But yeah, it's cool that you can, you know, neither of us are right and neither of us are wrong. It's just whatever yeah, you infer. The reason I asked you is because I, I wondered if we went different directions. Yeah. Um, because you could go, I could see it either way. Like I said, I'm mostly neutral on it, but leaning towards there's something, but, you know. And I'm, I, and I'm mostly neutral on it, leaning towards... <laughs> the the other direction which is it's, which is cool it, it, it's cool discussion yeah, yeah, yeah it's uh it's 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 an interesting thing um but i want to talk about we're getting back to the galley because you know kane is hungry and they're about to go back into stasis because their job is done they're we're going back to earth and they want to get some food before they go back into stasis parker who is currently eating says he could go for some food and then I want to talk about Ash in the galley as they're eating. Okay. Because he's one of the first characters we zone in on. Um, he's not the first, but he's one of the first. And he is staring directly at Kane. Dude, Ian Holm is fantastic in this scene. Like the way his his expression as he's looking around, literally looking as if he's looking at something through a, like through a microscope. Yes. Like he's just fascinated by whatever is about to happen with this dude and is not shocked at all when it happens <laughs> nope he, but, he, like, if he wasn't an android he would fucking be sociopathic because of how little he gives a shit you know dude when the event starts that superhuman speed that ash moves with to get right up next to kane like did you do you ever get the sense that it's a little bit 
superhuman in that moment because he just zips right off screen and there's a little sound effect, like a little whoosh to it. Yeah. When uh when he just zips away from the table. Yeah. Um it, it's something I I noticed, I don't know, probably a couple of years ago when I was watching it with headphones on. I was like, there's a fucking sound effect to him. I him darting off always got me as like like, damn, he's fast. But it wasn't until I watched it with headphones on. There's a whoosh to it that happens right when he zips. Mm-hmm. And you know, what is happening is Kane looks like he's choking at first. Looks like he's going into a seizure. They're even trying to jam a spoon in his mouth um, to like keep him from swallowing his tongue and all that. Yeah. And then the first spurt of blood shoots out of his chest and the room freezes. Everyone stops what they're doing and stares, kind of looks around, and then Kane starts squirming again. And then they all get back on Kane and trying to hold Kane down. And I love the moment that that little bit of blood spurts out and everyone just freezes like, the fuck was that? <laughs> which is maybe which is maybe my favorite behind-the-scenes detail I came across when researching the movie is I didn't know this, or if I did, okay. I'd forgotten it. But when they were filming this specific scene, uh, Ridley Scott and the writers kept it from the actors in the manner in which this scene unfolded to have their reactions be authentic to the, to the movie. Really? Ridley Scott did not tell the cat. So this is from an interview between uh, Ron Shusett, who was the co-writer and executive producer, um, a few of the actors and Ridley Scott. So this is uh, Ron Shusett uh, speaking. Uh, Ridley didn't tell the cast. He said, they're just going to see it. Uh, the the actor uh, actress who played Lambert said, we read the script. They showed us a mock-up but they didn't show how it was going to work. All they said was its head will move and it's going to have teeth. Uh, Sigourney Weavers added, uh, all it said in the script was this thing emerges. So Ridley Scott said, this thing emerges. They didn't say this who it thing emerged emerges, from. Bro. So uh, Ridley Scott said the reactions were going to be the most difficult thing. If an actor is just acting terrified, you can't get the genuine look of raw animal fear. Um, so when you watch them all freaking the fuck out, they are legitimately freaking the fuck out thinking John Hurt's choking. And then all that unfolds because they didn't know. How awesome is that, dude? Dude. Okay, as much as I love Ridley Scott, he seems like an ass to work for. <laughs> He's such a bitch, but I love him, dude. It's like... That's what makes it so oh, good. It's so good. And, and when I when what? I say that, I've never heard of him like you know being bad to people or anything. It's just details like this. It's great. Like he's such a troll. <laughs> he's, he's such a oh, troll. Oh, I love him. Oh my god, that's amazing. I did not uncover that when I was researching this. Yeah, I'm so glad I, you I found did. That, I found that day, and I was like, "You're shitting me." Like you, <laughs> like I don't even think you could legally do that today uh, based off of their like right screen actors screen actors guild uh like precautions maybe and stuff. it's there right. because of this <laughs> uh, and then obviously the only person in on it was john hurt so john hurt is in on the act when he is choking and setting up the scene oh my god it's is, is that not the fucking like coolest bit of trivia you've ever heard about a movie i love it oh that's so good that is so good um and it worked because like, you you feel their freak out yeah. like it makes it so raw i love it I, I wish i was kind of there for when they called cut 
I, I, I just like I just think of fucking Ridley Scott's face as he's about to be filmed with that scene with just like the meme troll face as he's getting <laughs> by the camera, dude. I just imagine they all turn back and look, and it's that fucking smiley face you always send me. <laughs> it's just, this, Scott's just eh, that big smiley face. Um, but yeah, this is where we get introduced to the chest burster. What I don't think it's yes. an official name, but it's what the fandom has definitely dubbed the chest burster. I think it's almost like the space jockeys, like how like it was kind of like a fandom assigned name that became like which space jockey is much better than engineer because aren't they technically the engineers now after Prometheus? Uh, if you, uh, yes, uh, but they're, they're also still like officially unofficially referred to as space jockeys on like the weekly. Right. You, but like, like, they, they kind of like gave them a name. They never had a name yeah. before. And then yeah. they gave them for, a name for, for 30 years, for 30 years. They were basically like a, a fan given official name, you know? Yeah. Like and the fans saying. are like, nice try. We're still calling them space jockeys. They're fucking space. Like I, what have I, have I called them engineers once in this podcast, Ron? No, I've called them space. Jockeys <laughs> a space like jockey sounds like it belongs in the cowboy bebop universe. Right. Right. Space, space jockey is a fucking like just great name for its own anime that I would watch. Like, oh, I don't watch so watch space jockey. Um, How could you not watch space jockey? Robot jocks. Um, but yeah, so this is our introduction to the chest burster and, um, it breaks out into song and dance after donning a little top hat and dances away. On hello, screen. my baby. Hello, my <laughs> honey. Hello, my rock time gal. If you didn't know what space balls was referencing, you do now. Um, which by the way, we need to cover check, space balls at some point. Uh, the best use of check, please. I've ever Check, seen please. in a movie. Check, please. Uh, <laughs> I'll have the special. <laughs> so, <laughs> what do he have? <laughs> he had the special. I had the special too. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then, uh, they do a mini search for the creature, right? Just like general surroundings. No one sees yeah. it. Yeah. So then we we go to deal with Kane. Um, Kane is our first victim. Um, uh, I feel dead. You look dead. He now officially looks dead, and right. he gets a burial at sea, as it were. Um, his corpse uh, kind of wrapped up like a mummy and jettisoned out an airlock. So, uh, so just a really just a real quick question. Yes, is that like? So that that is like a trope I see in a lot. Like it's in one of the Star Trek movies where when they have funerals, they kind of just eject them into space. Yes. Is there like, is there precedent for that with like the way that like naval funerals happen, where they just put them out in the ocean? Like, because yes. it seems very specific. Yeah, it's it's uh, basically a reference. I don't know if it's a thing that is done so much now, but a burial at sea is a definitely like a naval thing. Like maybe like a classic like eighteen hundreds naval. Yes. Thing. Yeah, yeah, okay. and then they would bury you at okay. sea. Um, seen, because I, I you would, you would be on a voyage. Yeah, you would be on a voyage for months at a time. You can't be stashing dead bodies around the ship. It's going to infect people. It's going to get people <laughs> it's, sick. It's, it's really yeah. bad for morale. <laughs> it's really bad for morale to have your captain just kind of laying in the corner of the room. Um, yeah, he's fine. He's fine. He's, he's fine. Off. He's fine. I'm telling you. Uh, so, <laughs> once I got metric, I'm going to go to the bathroom real quick. I'll be right back. All right. I have had too many beers, my friend. <laughs> okay, I'm back. All right. It was not from my chest, but I was about to burst. <laughs> <laughs> the bladder burster. <laughs> the bladder burst. Um. 
So okay, we were talking uh, naval funerals jettisoning out to lock yes. and um, yes, that is uh, that is that was definitely a thing at one time, and it is it has been a thing that's been theorized like how are you going to deal with death in space because that is if we're going to be a spacefaring you know people that is going to be a thing we are going to have to deal with at some yes. point and you know resources are limited in space so it's probably going to be a very let's see quote unquote what's interesting too though is just in retrospect thinking back to the character of ash i'm actually surprised ash let it happen unless it was intentional to to try to keep his cover it's got to be to keep his cover there's no way anyone is yeah. going to let him take that body because he would want it as a specimen, you know, for when, unless he's just like, uh, also like in addition to wanting to keep us cover, he knows it's inevitable that it's going to be getting other people of the crew. So yes. he knows I'll have, you know, now uh, this is the, subject. this is the one that had the face hugger though. So it'd be the most valuable, I would think. True. Um, yeah. They can't, they can't reproduce that. You know, they, right. it already happened. They, they're, they're like a, like has it died after it infected, um, John Hurt. So. Right. But, um, the thing that I think is most telling, though, is uh, Kane seemed well-liked, right? And no one has anything to say when Dallas says, anyone want to say any last words or whatever? And yeah. everyone just stands silently. Nobody knows what to make of anything about what just happened. Yeah, they're all, they're all fucking shell-shocked from, yes. from the event that they can't even talk. And, and you know that they, in a normal circumstance, they would because they, outside of Ash, she was a recent addition to the crew from, from Wayland Yutani, they're all friends. They all get along. Yes. And one of their friends just died in one of the most horrible ways imaginable. Um, yeah. So from here, things oh, are going to... Just, just real quickly before we transition, yeah. John Hurt's twitching of his hands oh, after the, I know. the chest burster scene is fucking great. And oh, it so happens good. like... It happens subtly in the background because you're focused on the chest burst in the foreground, but I, I noticed on this viewing specifically... His acting with having his hands twitch was fucking great. That, yeah, I don't know if I, I was, I, I wondered if you noticed that as well. Yeah, I had, I had noticed it and it was fucking phenomenal. And, um, yeah, I was, damn it, I was going to make a joke, but I've, I can't think, <laughs> I, can't, I can't think of his name. I can't think of Who? his name. Who? Um, uh, Ninth Doctor. 2005 reboot season one. Christopher Eccleston. Eccleston. I was going to say in an interview later, Christopher Eccleston say it was real fucking cold waking up in space. Um, <laughs> as John Hurt was the war doctor for anyone that yeah, yeah. doesn't know. So he happened between eight and nine and Eccleston was the next doctor. Anyways, it's ruined. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Fuck your joke. I couldn't, I couldn't think of his name. I just thought of it, but I was sitting here like, keep talking, Jeff, because in my mind, I'm like, where the fuck is the name? I can't think Where's of the, the name. name. Yeah, where's the name? Um, I was like, I don't think I'm going to have time to look it up. What the fuck is the name? Um, <laughs> so anyways, so things are going to start happening rapidly from, from this point on. Things happen kind of fast and hard, um, which is good because we've been dragging this episode out. Oh yeah, this episode is gonna be probably even longer than the fucking episode of the thing. And I was disappointed that we went on the episode of the thing as long as we did. I was like, God damn it, we have no fucking editing structure at all. But it's fine. Just keep going. It's good stuff. It's all good stuff. I mean, when you when you interrupt your podcast with thirteen thousand uh, quick asides and pizza, uh, like, old what fuck do you pizza, old fuck pizza and old fuck bladders. Mm -hmm. Uh 
Oh god. And I like how on my way back from the bathroom I got another beer. I was so gonna say I just heard you take a swig. Uh, probably gonna happen again. But yeah, so uh, now at this point we go on the full on search for the creature, right? We we get out our cattle prods. Uh Ash has created a motion sensing device that looks for fluctuations in air current and pressure. Um, which has which a, is really cool. Uh, which is great to add tension to the plot. Um, the aspect of it having acid for blood. Yes. You have to be very careful how you even get near the damn thing, uh, because like you can't you can't attack it by normal means. You know, you just almost have to uh, corral it. Yes, you have to stun it, and that is their plan: is to stun this thing. Throw Parker has a net that he's going to throw over it. They're going to grab it, going to shove it in an airlock, and blast it out into space. And I just want to take a second. Again, the sound that the motion sensor makes. Oh, probably dude, one of the most iconic sound effects in all time for science yeah, fiction. Ab ab absolutely. Uh, probably up there with the sonic screwdriver and the uh, the communicator in Star Trek and whatever else. The, the, light, the, the lightsaber sound. The, the lightsaber sound. Um, yeah. So my note that I have here when they start talking about cattle prods and motion sensors and nets that I have in the margin is fuck all of this. Which was the, LOL. Which was the, that, uh, yeah. Cattle prods and motion <laughs> sensors and nets was actually the working title of this podcast oh, before we settled on screenplay rewind. Uh, it, was it was a close contender. And our subtitle right now, you know, is with Ron and Jeff, but originally the subtitle was also fuck all of this lol. <laughs> fuck all of this. <laughs> and, um, I wanted to point out that as they're walking away, they've divided into groups. They've all got their jobs. They've divided into groups. In the background, you can hear Brett fucking saying right to everything people are saying. Can't, I didn't notice that. Can you? You can. Every time someone says something, he's like, right. Oh, that's, that's awesome. I did not, I'm going to have to go back and watch that scene again because I didn't catch that. That's great. He goes with Ripley and Parker. And every time they say something... His reaction is right. Fuck. <laughs> That's good. I didn't notice that. I love it's so I, good. I love I love having a fucking movie or a book or a TV show or anything where there's so much fucking attention to detail. Yeah, he's... and so much just mastery of the project. And that they have all of these things hidden in the background <laughs> that they, they don't care if you miss it. And so, because I know, because I know you'll catch it on a later viewing. Yeah, and I want to say he says it like different ways, like you know, like go over there and like do this right, like you know, he says it like sometimes scared, sometimes like whatever, but he's saying right to everything they say again, like they pointed out as a joke earlier. I I just I love. Yeah, you have the Blu-ray. Go back any... to this chapter. I will. Uh, I love pieces of fiction that have the audacity to let you miss stuff. It's, yes. it's it's great because because most things are so in your face and spoon fed that when you have something like this, that's that's a, that's an aspect that can make something really special. Is when people have so much pride in it and let it work so organically that they they're they're not afraid to let you miss something. Yes, I I love it so much because when you go back and view it again, you're just like, what? Um. Then my next note is fuck cats because this is the first time that what the fuck is the cat's name? Jonesy. Jonesy. This is the first time that Jonesy is our jump scare. See, see, uh, I would go back for a dog. Yes. 
I would not in a fucking million years go back for a fucking asshole cat that gets like half the crew killed. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. Oh my god. So uh this cat jumps out, they're trying to grab it, trying to get a hold of it, and then Brett lets it go, and they're like, the fuck are you doing? He's like, it's a fucking cat, man. And then I love Parker's reaction to that. To, it's just a cat. Like his kind of like relief. Like like he's like so relieved. He's kind of like bursts out laughing. Like, oh, thank God or whatever. I, I really like Yafet Koto in this movie. And then he points out with, points out, why'd you let it go? It's just going to set off the motion sensor again. <laughs> because like, in, in movies, how many times in movies do you watch? And it happens later in this one, in which I was yeah. pissed at. But how many times in movies do you watch that they go after the cat after it runs away, and you're like, what are you doing? Why? Fuck the cat, dude. The Fuck the cat. The cat runs off, and he points out, it's just going to trip the motion sensor again. <laughs> like, God why did you let it go? And then they're just kind of like, God damn it. So the Brett goes after the, mo mo after the motion sensor, after the cat, and finds something else, Jeff. Yeah, he finds the magical uh, spaceship shower that I'm really confused as to why there's just random water dropping. Why would you let it bay? in your mouth? That too, I was like, what the fuck? It's like nasty, rusted metal water that was, if, it's, if that's the landing gear it's dripping off of, it was on a nasty primordial planetoid. And, like, I'm naturally a germaphobe in the best of conditions. <laughs> when there's a fucking alien on the loose with acid blood, maybe I'm not, you know, <laughs> slurping up the fucking random space condensation. Fucking, I'm just saying, dude. It's an acid-blooded alien that's dripping KY jelly. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you just make it sound like a party, and I'm back on <laughs> board, you know. party. You just throwing a little fucking old fuck pizza, and I'm fucking down, dude. Oh, my God. So, yeah, he makes a start. <laughs> Xenomorphs just trying to throw a party. He's just misunderstood, bro. He's <laughs> just misunderstood. Um, he finds the shed skin. And that's when what came out of the shed skin kind of finds him. It comes down from the air ducts above him. And, dude, watching that thing unfurl behind him as it comes down from the ceiling. You can cut the tension with a fucking knife, man. It's. Uh, as the cat just looks on like, yes, yes, kill yes. him. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Fuck cats. Dude. Fuck cats, dude. I hate cats. Okay, um, Harry Dean Stanton gets killed over a goddamn cat. Like, goddamn it, dude. Uh, that's how I'd go, though. It'd be a dog, but that's how I'd go. Uh, um, I have no qualm with anyone dying over a dog in a movie. It's like, I'd go back for the dog, too. But also, the dog wouldn't be dumb enough to fucking aggressively hide. The dog would just go up to him, and there would be, there would have been no scene. Right? Like, it's a, it's more good writing because if it had been a dog, the dog would have just gone up to him for fucking pets. Right. But it's a fucking cat. Right. Cat, a cat would hide for no reason and watch a dude get murdered <laughs> by an alien. <laughs> I believe it. So the thing that. Uh, that struck me is after it grabs him and like pulls him up off the floor and kind of disappears with him in the next scene, Parker and Ripley are talking like they watched the whole thing from start to end. 
right? So uh, what's interesting is this is another bit I found. Um, there was actually a lot more to the scene of his death that, that, was, they cut? that was cut from the final movie. Okay. They actually had an entire scene where uh, Parker and Ripley actually watch him get uh, like pulled upward. Uh, and there's actually like a, I saw uh, like a still image online of where you see them watching uh, Harry Dean Stanton just like covered in blood and blood dripping down from the side of it attacking him and them watching. So, yeah, if you watch, I, I don't watch it because I like to just watch the actual cuts for the most part, but. I bet if you watch the director's cut that is on the uh, Blu-ray that I had. Um, yeah, it is worth pointing I, I out. I watched the 1979 theatrical version. I did too. I always watch theatricals. Because there's the like part. a 2003 director's cut or something. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the other version that was on my uh, Blu-ray copy at least. We probably have the same. <laughs> Do you have a box set? Um, it's, it's a, it's not a box set of like okay. the series, but it's, it's like a collector's edition of alien one. Like I have a little like pack okay. that comes with HR Geiger cards of the designs and a little comic. Yeah, I have that, but it's a box set of all the movies. I have that same, okay. that same thing. Um, did you notice for, I didn't watch the director's commentaries, but did you notice there's three different commentaries you can choose from? Really? Yes. Who are all on the commentaries? Uh, Ridley Scott is the 2003, I think it's 2003, uh, director's cut one. Um, I didn't see, I don't think it says a name. I think it, it said directors, I think it said commentary with Ridley Scott and the other ones had different names. Okay. But I'm curious I, about I, I that one. I myself, I'll probably, like the next time I watch this movie, I probably will just, I wanted to watch just a theatrical cut, you know, cause we're doing a show on it. And in, the, in these instances for the show, we'll typically, unless we specifically state that it's a director's cut, we'll typically be just watching a theatrical version. Cause in my eyes, that's the movie. Right, like I view, I view the uh, movie Ridley as Scott has famously said he doesn't like the term director's cut because the director's cut, as far as he's concerned, is what you saw in theaters when it comes to his own movies. In most instances, um, Blade Runner notwithstanding, because he's very particular on the Blade Runner uh, yeah. different incarnations. But of he that has movie. he has said but before it, that uh, that that is a marketing term and it it doesn't really apply yeah. to his movies. Yeah. Uh, but the next time I, I watch Alien, I probably will watch the director's cut just to see the differences. Because I don't think I've uh, ever seen it. I don't think I have. Ever, I uh, I have it either because I typically just don't like director's cuts. Like, I'll occasionally throw on like an alternate ending out of curiosity, but in my eyes, the thing you saw in theaters that's the movie. Uh, yeah. But if there was one director that could get me to watch one, <laughs> uh, as far as director's cuts, it's it's Ridley Scott because. The the actual version of Blade Runner I always watch is the final cut, which is Ridley Scott's kind of like remaster of it. That's like the only that's like the the one instance where kind of myself and just based on like a lot of people that are fans of the the, the property, they view Ridley Scott's final cut as the cut of Blade Runner to watch. Right. Um. So they determine this thing is using the air vents to move around and Dallas volunteers to go into the air vents to flush it out with, uh, here's the, here's a trope in science fiction. I never really get tired of. Uh, it's very clearly a flamethrower. Uh, we don't need to be tossing around incinerator units. <laughs> <laughs> Everything in science fiction has to have some name. And like, the, it, yeah. it, it's a flamethrower, dude. It's a, it, it's especially a for semi truckers in space, they would just call it a fucking flamethrower. Yeah, what it is. But I, that's a trope that I never really get tired of. Is I want to know what something is going to be called. 
I, yeah. I, I, I want At to know. At some point in the future, flamethrower, you know, came out of vogue and no one says that term anymore, <laughs> no even one, though it's a no, fucking flamethrower. No one in this universe knows what a fuck a flamethrower is. It's an incinerator <laughs> unit, you Incin dumbass. I mean, an incendiary torch. Right? Oh, my God. So, anyways, that, that made me laugh um, for some reason. I don't know. I'm easily amused, I guess. Because we're fucking geeks and have seen roughly one billion movies. <laughs> and when you've seen one billion movies, tropes are what you pick up on. Because right. you just watch so many goddamn movies. So, um, I got the feeling Dallas isn't nearly as scared as he needs to be. <laughs> and, Would you fucking go in that goddamn uh, air shaft thing? I'm not going anywhere near an air shaft. You tell me the thing is in the air ducts? I'm finding the one room on the ship that doesn't have an air vent. Uh, although like, I almost feel like at this point, like he's kind of resigned himself to this fate because before they actually have this setup, uh, or sorry, before they have this scene, they have setup where Ripley's the first to volunteer and he says, no, I'll go do it. Yeah. It's almost to me like the captain going down with the ship. Like he almost views this as like a suicide mission. Suicide by Xenomorph. Yeah. Um, but, but like more kudos to him. Cause like that's, that takes the fucking cojones that I will never possess in my lifetime. Cause Fuck a lot of that, dude. Also, I want to be damn sure I am through a vent before you close it behind me, Jeff. Those vents are fucking scary. The sound effect the vent makes is just as scary as the goddamn alien. That is. sound like, effect sounds like it belongs with the shredder. <laughs> like, yeah, dude, it's fucking like, why is why is the air shaft so fucking menacing, dude? <laughs> the air shaft was the villain the whole time. The whole time. All they needed to do That's is a, get it to charge. And then just had the air... Oh, but then the acid. Yeah, you got to get it out the airlock. You got to get it out the airlock. Oh, yeah. It's fucking dangerous because the goddamn air shaft is made of fucking industrial-sized cigar cutters <laughs> for no reason. That's a big cigar. Um, <laughs> so, they... Um, Dallas goes into the air vent and... <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. This, this podcast has gone on for so long. I am now, from the beginning, totally sober to... Somewhat tipsy because we've been recording for like an hour and a half. <laughs> I think so, I think about 15 minutes of this is coming out. So yeah, probably about yeah, hour yeah. and a half. Yep. Um, Continue. Continue. He, <laughs> <laughs> so that's our best one yet. What are you talking about? Um, <laughs> so this is um, a great idea. This podcast was a great idea. And that's gonna wrap it up for part one of this episode. As I said before, we went really long, so we're going to split it in half. In the second half, we'll come out next week, which is our off week normally, where we wouldn't put out any content. And I wanted to go ahead and let you know that Jeff's movie pick for next time, so two weeks from today, we will be talking about Southbound, which came out in 2015. And it is available to stream for subscribers to Amazon Prime Video, Hulu, Hoopla, Canopy, and Shudder. And it is available to rent or buy from various other uh, outlets, including Apple TV, Amazon, YouTube, Fandango, and uh, Google. So, yeah, it uh, is available in multiple places, and it sounds really cool. And we're going to be watching that and talking about it next time. So, I hope you enjoyed the show. Stay tuned if you want to hear about the saga of the pizza 
Jeff had a pizza that was delivered midway through the episode, as you probably heard already. And uh, the whole story about that is at the end of the episode. As for the wrap-up, uh, thank you for listening. Um, be sure to leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. If you Please be honest. If you liked it, great. Reflect that in your comments and in your review. If you didn't like it, please reflect that and let us know what you didn't like. Yeah, you can follow us at SPR Filmcast on Twitter. That will do it for this week. As always, thank you for listening. Well then. Welcome to uh to Ron after dark. I, don't know, I guess they had like a pizza or something. I don't know. Someone, someone was knocking at his door. <laughs> I'm listening very closely for gunshots. Hello. Hello. Jordan ordered me pizza as a belated birthday president uh, and had it delivered to my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> so I was sorry. I was not expecting pizza to arrive right in the middle of the podcast. I apologize. I made a joke. I guess he had pizza delivered. <laughs> I did not, but somebody did for me, apparently. Someone delivered pizza to his door. J-Cat, I hope you're yeah. hungry. I, I, want you, I want you to eat it through this whole episode. Like, oh, man, this fish is so fucking moist. I love it. Oh. Uh, then the, the, the thing just kind of bursts out of his chest. Mm, yeah. Mm, huh. yeah. Sublime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was it at least good pizza or did he bite punk you? Uh it's it's like Domino's pepperoni. It's like, okay, okay. Oh, eh. Domino's is ah, but pepperoni okay. All right. Domino's used to be shit, but Domino's is pretty okay now. Like they got better. The last time I had Domino's was just a few months ago, and that's probably the last time I ever have Domino's. <laughs> Not a fan. Nah. I, I I think they're okay, but I, I I'm like a garbage disposal when it comes to food. <laughs> Uh, you make the sound and everything. Oh, hold on, Jordan wanted me to send him a pic of the pizza. <laughs> <laughs> For proof you received I don't it. Know. <laughs> so I'm texting Jordan right now after looking at the pizza. He's I'm trying to do, I'm trying to distinguish what the pepperoni was supposed to spell out. Oh yeah. Huh? See, he just texted me. Uh, he said, "Open it." They wouldn't let me say "old fuck." <laughs> I wanted. <laughs> So I had to improvise. <laughs> Hold on, I'm trying to see. It was supposed to say old man. Ah. That's awesome. Did it? What did it say? It said absolutely nothing because once it got cooked, I moved all the pepperonis around. <laughs> so it's just like really awkwardly placed pepperoni, but I, I love it nonetheless. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, you, have have, uh, you know, this is all staying in, right? <laughs> really, Scott, it's aliens okay, but the saga of Jeffrey Jellyfish's old fuck pizza is the real, the real treat of this episode. Oh, I want to start a chain called Old, old Fuck Pizza now. Old Fuck Pizza. Old Fuck Pizza.
Oh, I'm going down to the OFP, grab a slice. Oh my God. OFP. <laughs> going down to OFP, down there the on the corner. Oh okay, God. what are we talking about? I don't, I don't know. Let's just start over. Okay. Um. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, last thing I remember, we were talking about a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were talking about Steven Spielberg movies. I don't remember. Oh wait, this is the Star Wars episode. That's what it is. This is the Star Wars yes, episode. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. Okay. That was crazy. That's awesome. That's crazy. <laughs> so so worth it for the B-roll, though. <laughs> we didn't have much of a green room today, so thank you, Jordan. Send him a there pizza. There you go. Send him an to old save fuck the pizza. fucking day. Old fuck pizza to save the fucking day. Oh, I wish I knew how to mod stuff. I would I would totally mod Dark Souls to have an old fuck pizza. And... Old fuck pizza. Uh, oh no, I know. I would mod Dead Space and the Ripper would fire old fuck pizzas. <laughs> That's what I would do. That's great. Oh man. All right. So, <laughs> whatever just happened. Now we uh play the game. We uh, now we uh now we record the rest of the podcast. Okay, we are now recording. Don't touch me, I'm sterile. <laughs> I'm going to turn on the fan on the way too this time so I don't do it in the intro. I don't consider that a fail, Christina. Okay. This is pretty fucking funny. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff said it was pretty fucking funny. So there. You had a 45 minute green room. <laughs> you were so upset in the moment. <laughs> I wasn't upset. I was just like, I was just disappointed. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> All right, I'll be right back. This podcast went on for so long. My phone died. <laughs> Did your phone die? My yeah. phone died. Um, yeah, uh, I'm like stuck to my chair. <laughs>